This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. It's fun because you could have something like gumbo and uh, it's different every place you go to, but it's good every place you go to. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about gumbo. Yes, we are. <laughs> Which is very exciting because it can be a lot of things. And it can not be certain things. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and that quote you heard from the top was kind of kind of demonstrating the challenge we face. <laughs> uh, was from Christopher Horner, the general manager at the Bombay Club, which is a cool cocktail lounge in the middle of the French Quarter. Mm -hmm. And I think that almost everyone we spoke to while we were in New Orleans, and as you heard in our massive and yet somehow barely skimming the surface episode overview of New Orleans, gumbo is a dish that perfectly exemplifies the culinary influences and cultures that make New Orleans New Orleans. It's communal, something meant to be shared, and a confluence of so many flavors and cultures. But okay. Uh Uh-huh. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here mm-hmm. and ask the question. Gumbo. Gumbo. What, what is it? it? Well, <laughs> this is the first time I've ever felt like I might get in trouble for a definition. Yeah. Gumbo is a soup or stew, depending on how thick you make it. Uh, you start with a good stock and usually one or more animal protein vegetables, including but not limited to the Louisiana Holy Trinity, that's celery, onion, and bell pepper. And then the the flavor and texture are rounded out with herbs and one or more thickening 
agents, and it's served over rice. Those thickeners might be roux, uh, which is pan-fried flour, and or okra, which is a vegetable with some goo to it, and or filet, which is a dried ground sassafras, all of which will add their own flavors. If you're making it Creole style, you probably add tomato. If you're making it Cajun style, you probably don't. And in case you missed our intro episode, Creole could be oversimplified to mean city cuisine and Cajun to mean country cuisine. There tend to be a couple other differences between Creole style and Cajun style, but we'll hit those in a minute. However you make it, the result is a uh, rich and savory comfort food, just savory protein on top of savory herbs on top of smokiness or roastiness, uh, cut through with a sweet bite from those aromatic vegetables and warming, but probably not like too spicy hot. It's actually pretty good for you and can be made either inexpensively or super fancy. Yeah. And it is a popular one-pot dish, or I would say generally it's a one-pot, but you know, <laughs> I don't know, uh-huh. uh, that originated in southern Louisiana and combines cooking techniques and ingredients from Africa, indigenous America, and Europe. Here's Liz Williams, the director and founder at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. So the simplest way to think about it, although totally not with all the nuances, is that the three continents came together to form the basis for the cuisine and our foods really reflect all of that. For example, our gumbo, we have three basic thickeners for gumbo. You have okra, which is African. You have filet, which is American. And you have roux, which is European. Now, you can use them all in one gumbo, or you use them separately, as that was traditionally, they were separate. Um, And you would use them when this was in season or that was in season. It's so emblematic that a full two-thirds of our interview subjects brought it up all on their own without any prompting. Here's Rebecca Chapman, the general manager over at Broussard's, a Creole restaurant that's been in operation since the jazz age. The style, if you think of gumbo, it's a melting pot. It's it's a variety of different flavors and textures that you're going to have based off of the cultures and people who were here. So with Creole, you're going to get a little influence from Spanish. You're going to get a little French. You're going to get a little African-American. You're going to get a little Native American, all in that same genre. With all those influences, it's no surprise that there are as many ways to make gumbo as there are folks who make it. Almost every family has their own gumbo recipe. A lot of our interviewees shared theirs with us, our, our sort of a base version uh-huh, of uh-huh. it. Keep it in keep those secrets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even my family had a gumbo recipe. My grandparents on my mother's side have roots in the L.A., Lower Alabama, as it's called. Um <laughs> This area is on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, and Creole dishes like gumbo spread from southern Louisiana to southern Alabama. And if you remember from our jambalaya episode, there is even a theory held by some, not necessarily us, but some, (laughs) that jambalaya actually originates from lower Alabama. See that episode for more on that. Yes. In either case, you can find these Creole dishes pretty easily in that area of Alabama. And my grandparents, who were excellent chefs, had a delicious gumbo recipe with a very dark roux, lots of okra, not too much rice, and a lot of shellfish, particularly fresh-caught crab. Here's Chef Isaac Toops, co-founder of Toops Meadery, commenting on the gumbo he serves at his restaurant. So grandma to grandma, you're going to get different methods of cooking. Pass it down to the grandchildren, they're going to cook it different. That's a very Cajun thing to do. Everybody's gumbo is just a little bit different, and mine's no different. 
Some folks insist that you've got to make gumbo with all seafood protein, you know, shrimp, crabs, oysters, etc., or all land-based protein, your sausage, ham, chicken, or other birds, or etc. Creole gumbo is often seafood, and uh, Cajun is often land food, as the uh, Cajuns were more likely to be uh, hunters and trappers, stuff like that. But some folks mix land and sea, and there are a few further yet outliers. What? <laughs> One of the people we unfortunately didn't get to interview was Leah Chase of Dookie Chase's Restaurant. The restaurant is well known for their gumbo, and particularly a type of gumbo called uh, gumbo zierb, which is a meatless Creole version that features a lot of greens that's often served during Lent and especially on Holy Thursday, which is the day before Good Friday. According, though, to an interview with Leia done by our favorite rocket scientist slash barbecue pitmaster, Dr. Howard Conyers, for his show Nourish, the tradition is to put an uneven number of types of greens in the dish because even numbers are bad luck, and each green represents a new friend you will make in the coming year, and one of these new friends will be rich. We can extrapolate this to New Year's traditions. I'm going to make one new friend this year, and I assume they'll be rich because I only have one to choose from. One has to be rich. That's going to be them, yeah. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like waiting at the door. Any minute, Any minute. now, rich friend. <laughs> um, Dookie Chases serves about 1,500 people on Holy Thursday every year. Uh, Leah often says of gumbo, people are like a gumbo pot. It takes all kinds of people to make a good world, just like it takes all kinds of things to make a good bowl of gumbo. get down into a little bit of gumbo science by talking about one of those thickeners, roux. Yes, roux. I love rueing. I know. Partially I, I, know I get to make you. that pun, but, <laughs> but I do enjoy it. <laughs> you are one of the few people I know that enjoys it instead of being intimidated by it. Oh, I, I guess I just did it often enough that I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, this is just, I mean, as long as you keep staring at it, it's basically fine. Is that the key? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't stop stirring it. I've only done it like twice. Oh, geez. Never stop stirring it. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Backing up. So a roux is the basis of French sauce making because you can add flour, just raw flour, to any soup or other liquidy dish to help thicken it up that the starch molecules in flour absorb water. And I have used this to save overmashed potatoes a number of times. Um, but just dumping raw flour into a dish presents a few problems. It can clump and form sort of unpleasant, like, lumps. Or if you add too much, it'll taste kind of like chalky or raw, doughy. Yeah, not good. No. Um, and it's probably not going to reach its full absorption potential. So the solution? Why, it's the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Fry it in butter. Of course. <laughs> Which, you know, if Pinky and the Brain had tried frying things in butter, I feel like they would have gotten further on their, like, world domination bend. I think so, because, you know, if your brain is satisfied... That's what I'm saying. Anyway. If only. <laughs> so, to make a roux, you cook equal parts of flour and your choice of fat, it doesn't have to be butter, over lowish heat, stirring constantly. Oh, what you're looking to do is break apart any clumps of flour grains and let the fat really get in there and separate them out. Uh, that way, the starch molecules will have the elbow room that they need to really absorb lots of liquid. 
Now, as you add the liquid, the starch grabs it up and forms a gel, which is how you get a nice thick, like, bechamel or gravy or whatever you're doing. But gumbo recipes call for a dark brew. Right. Uh, The longer you cook your roux in the pan, the darker it'll get. You're browning it the way that you would sear a steak. So it'll start white and then deepen to reddish, then brown, and eventually black, at which point you've probably gone too far. Pull it back, pull it back. (laughs) Um, Or start over, as the case may be. But yeah, as it darkens, you're going to create some lovely, nutty, toasty flavors. You're also creating color that can add to the appearance of your finished saucer dish. And you're breaking up some of the long chains of starches into these shorter molecules, which means that it will be a less effective thickener, um, that the short molecules are more like slippy and less clingy with each other. And that's why, other than tradition, uh, cooks who use a very dark roux either want their gumbo soupy or they're going to add some other thickeners. Before we came in here to record, I was reading an article from uh, aforementioned Chef Isaac Toops mm-hmm. about what he likes to do. And he says that you should get, you should aim for a roux that is the color of a Hershey's bar. And he oh, even wow. recommended like opening one <laughs> and comparing it. Because <laughs> then bonus, like... you get to eat the Hershey bar. <laughs> um, and he also said, and he's, he knew this might be blasphemous, but that he likes to make his roux not with butter, but with grapeseed or avocado oil. Huh. This is the smoke points. Oh, oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. I see you. Yeah. yeah. I The recipe that I was the most intrigued by called for duck fat, like Ooh. duck lard. And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> In general. Yes, please. Yes, please. Oh. We also got the chance to talk with Dr. Jessica Harris, who literally wrote the book on gumbo or rather on the wider world of Creole cuisine. The book is actually called Beyond Gumbo, Creole Fusion Food from the Atlantic Rim. She pointed out that anytime you see okra in a recipe, it's a footprint of African foodways. The word gumbo itself is thought to come from a Bantu word for okra, kinkombo. Or, yeah, that's probably it. There are always multiple origin stories of, yeah. Yes. Jessica talked to us about some of the different ways to make gumbo. There were basically two types of gumbo. There was a filet gumbo, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the Hank Williams jambalaya crawfish pie and a filet gumbo. And then there was a fevi gumbo. The fevi gumbos were the okra gumbos. And while people used to say you can't put that and that, people do. And it, that's, yeah. you know, one of those sort of apocryphal stories. But the other thing is that in terms of some of those gumbos, you get one sort of thickener. Okra is a thickener. The more you cut okra, the more it exudes that thing that everybody hates about it. So it was used as a thickener. Filet, the word, comes from the French word filet, which means to thread. Because if you spread filet into something, it forms little threads. Hence, filet. So they were both ways of taking a thin soup, taking something that might not have been able to be of substance for a family and making it something of substance, making it a thicker soup, making it a meal as opposed to a little liquid. So on either side, that would work. I have a very dirty culinary secret, which is I'm allergic to shellfish. I do, therefore, a gumbo that is probably more a Cajun gumbo than it is a Creole gumbo, which would be a sausage and a duck kind of thing with a real, um, a real mahogany roux. 
And the mahogany roux is called a mahogany roux because it is the roux that is cooked and cooked and cooked until it is pretty much the color of mahogany, which is a very different roux, which is a Cajun roux mm -hmm. more than it is a Creole roux. You start talking about those kinds of nuances and those kinds of differences, and that's when you start getting into some of the definers. Gumbo is all about building flavors. You might start with that roux and add aromatic vegetables and add stock, add meats, and then add more veg and more meat and other thickeners. Gumbo recipes allow for a lot of room for experimentation depending on what's fresh and locally available. Take the World Championship Gumbo Cook-Off every October in New Iberia, a town a couple hours west of New Orleans. Stanley Dry posits there are only two things you need to make a gumbo, rice and a thickener. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but there are certain rules that are not meant to be broken, at least to some people. <laughs> Amy Sins, founder of food entertainment company Langvois, spoke about this. I would say that there are several polarizing foods that people will absolutely argue to the death about. Um, and then there are things that we all agree upon. And... Uh, I am. I would say that most of the time it's what their mama taught them, and it is not my position to question someone else's mama. When you look at a dish like gumbo and the rules that different families will have about gumbo, what color is the roux? Can you put your land and your sea animals in the same pot? Is sausage, does sausage or bacon really count? Because that's kind of seasoning, so maybe you can throw that in a seafood gumbo. And the debate that putting a tomato in a gumbo could spark is exponential. And I, I laugh all the time when I open up my Facebook and some national brand has put on their Facebook page an instant pot gumbo or some kind of crock pot gumbo. <laughs> and you go, who the heck puts a mushroom in their gumbo? Where did the lima beans come from? This is this is soup, is not gumbo. And I think the one thing that we agree upon is that we feel passionately that certain dishes are ours. Gumbo is ours. Uh, jambalaya is ours. And uh, you can make it, but if it's not made the way that we agree it should be made, mm -hmm. just call it something else. <laughs> and I, I think uh, you, you could walk out on a street corner and start a debate for an hour if you, if you really wanted to. <laughs> you can almost define gumbo most concisely on what it's not. Yes. And apparently what it's not is whatever <laughs> Disney did <laughs> a couple of years ago when they had a gumbo available. Oh, so what happened there was Disney posted a video recipe for Princess Tiana's healthy gumbo on social media. It included kale. It was sprinkled with quinoa. Ooh. It didn't use a roux. Disney took down the video, like, shortly after snarky responses with hashtag gumbo strong started trending. More than one person we talked to brought it up. <laughs> and, and it got to the point where someone would be about to mention it, and you and I would start laughing because <laughs> it kept coming up. Here's Pepper Bowen, a food and water attorney in New Orleans, speaking about this whole incident. <laughs> I like driving that home by reminding people of the <laughs> kerfuffle a few years ago when Disney tried to make gumbo. And 
<laughs> Obviously, somebody beyond me remembers that. Um, it was unprecedented. It was the one time that I can tell you the ins- there was an outcry across the state of Louisiana. It didn't matter what your politics were. It didn't matter if you were from North Louisiana or South Louisiana. We were all in the same outrage. I stayed at Port Orleans in Disney a couple of years ago. I did not try the gumbo. I don't know if it was available there. (laughs) Um, But when I was thinking about this, I can't think of another U.S. state or single city that has an entire hotel resort based on it in Disney. Yeah, like there's a New York-themed one in Vegas. But yeah, New Orleans is one of the very few named cities, in certainly in Disney's like princess repertoire. Like most of them are sort of like, Germany, probably. Um, This one's in France. Yeah. It's remarkable how mythic New Orleans has made itself and how huge gumbo looms in that mythos. So how did we get to here? Great question. (laughs) We'll get into the history of gumbo after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. To start, let's dismiss a popular food myth, shall we? Gumbo does not descend from bouillabaisse. Done. I, I guess that was a thing that people... Thought And, you know, I had never considered it before myself, but when I was researching this, French influence in New Mm -hmm. Orleans, it did make sense. 
But it seems that most historians, experts mm-hmm. agree that that is not the not case. Not it. Right. The first written records of gumbo date back to the dawn of the 19th century or possibly even earlier. A handwritten note from 1764 composed by an enslaved person in New Orleans named Combo came with a mention of a dish called ungumbo, spelled like I assume the French would spell it, Mm G-O-M-B-E-A-U. But there's no indication as to whether this dish referred to what we think of as gumbo. It doesn't really say what was in there. Ah, uh Mm. Mm uh-huh. One thing that historians agree on when it comes to gumbo is the influence of African peoples as more and more enslaved Africans were brought to New Orleans in larger numbers in the 1720s. By 1723, half the population of New Orleans was African, which, of course, shaped the cuisine. Mm -hmm. And also brought over uh, rice technology and okra. Yes. But African-American recipes of gumbo weren't published until after the Civil War, which Uh. adds a layer of complication when it comes to tracing the history. Filet was mentioned in a French journal called Observations sur la Physique in 1784. Quote, These leaves are used in sauces. A pinch of this powder is enough to make a viscous broth. The author goes on, quote, This is the dish we in America call gumbo. However, we must distinguish this American stew from the one called gumbo feve. This is done with the pods of a species of mallow known to botanists as the sabdorifa. Feve, it turns out, is the Louisiana Creole word for okra, and the author notes that its thickening power is even stronger than that of powdered sassafras, which the Creoles called filet. Gumbo was served at an 1803 gubernatorial reception in New Orleans and also at a Cajun get-together on the Acadian coast in 1804. While it's generally understood these days that gumbo is served with rice, this wasn't always so. A Frenchman's account of his travels in Louisiana in 1805 described a gumbo served over a cornmeal mush instead. Ah, makes sense. It does. In 1817, a paper out of Virginia mentioned that okra was native to New Orleans and included two recipes. Virginia <laughs> That's That's untrue, but it that's is okay. untrue. <laughs> cool. Virginia Woolf's 1824 book, The Virginia Housewife, came with a recipe for gumbo, a West India dish, as she described it. And then, a decade later, New England farmer wrote that okra had a, quote, known reputation in the West Indies. A very celebrated dish called gumbo is prepared in those countries where okra is grown by mixing with the green pods, ripe tomatoes, and onions, all chopped fine to which are added pepper and salt and the whole stewed. The coastal south started growing okra in the 1840s, and often the West African word for okra, gumbo, appeared next to any mention of okra. The French adopted the word gumbo to mean okra, which is still the word today, and it has contributed to this bouillabaisse confusion. Meanwhile, the 1841 edition of Webster's Dictionary defined gumbo as, quote, a dish of food made of young capsules of okra with salt and pepper, stewed and served with melted butter. Modern research, meanwhile, turned up an early description of a protein that might have been used. In the book, Pavi in the Bordelands um, explores the journey of this young Frenchman by the name of uh, Theodore Pavi to Louisiana and Texas in 1829 and 1830, and thus explores the, the cultural forces that were shaping the whole area at the time. And he wrote about gumbo that he ate lots of squirrel gumbo, a delicious stew made with rice and Chateaubriand's sassafras. 
Though at the time, gumbo was often associated with the Caribbean, by the 1830s, it was already popular enough of a dish in New Orleans to be the source of jokes and just generally understood to be well-liked in the city. Mm-hmm. Take this quote from an 1838 edition of Times Picayune. Secret of health. Live light and eat plenty of gumbo. <laughs> All right. Um, or this, a year later in the New Orleans time, quote, The greatest luxury we know of, save and accept a plate of gumbo, is a real old-fashioned sneeze. (laughs) Quick aside, (laughs) do you remember when Britney Spears said that she loved sneezes because they felt like tiny orgasms in your nose? I do not remember that. Well, I do. I can't forget it. Uh, Was that what the rest of this article was about? It was about the pleasures of a sneeze, yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> but no Britney Spears. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I I'm, I just, you know, that's that's cool. It's true. Sneezes can be very satisfying. <laughs> anyway, that was my brief aside. Um, 1840s Directions for Cookery by Eliza Leslie came with two recipes of relevance, one for gumbo soup and one for just gumbo, subtitled A Favorite New Orleans Dish. A handful of gumbo recipes appeared in 1885's La Cuisine Creole by Lovecadio Hearn. These recipes featured all kinds of ingredients. Hearn described gumbo as a way to use up leftovers. So bacon, shrimp, crab, oysters, beef, chicken, uh, with either okra or filet as the thickener. A few mentioned browned flour, but not specifically roux. More than one of these recipes coming out during this time acknowledged the African and indigenous American roots of gumbo. Also, in 1885, the Christian Women's Exchange of New Orleans called the making of gumbo, quote, an occult science in their Creole cookery book. Um, They went on to write that gumbo should be allowed its proper place in the gastronomical world. Which seems like a compliment. Oh, yeah. Occult science, I was like. It could go either way. Right, especially (laughs) from the Christian Women's League. Sure. But then that sounds, that sounds good. I think it was one of those, like, kind of backhanded compliment sort of situations. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yay. Racism. (laughs) Oh. Thanks, humans. It goes on to say that gumbo can be made of scraps of cold meat or fowl, a few oysters, crabs, or shrimps, and with a couple of spoonfuls of well-cooked rice is a very satisfying and economical dinner. One thing of interest is that among their gumbo recipes, none of them include okra. And yet, there are three recipes for okra soup. In these early recipes, they were largely separated into ones thickened with filet and those thickened with okra. Prior to refrigeration, okra was preferred, while filet was only used when okra wasn't available in the off-season. On the other hand, some records show that by the 19th century, some people were drying their okra for use year-round. We then see more gumbo recipes published out of New Orleans with 1901's The Picayune's Creole Cookbook. The proteins included in these recipes expounded upon previous ones to include things like a turkey, wild or cultivated, squirrel, rabbit, veal, and crab. Then, that wondrous, bizarre time in America, the 1980s, <laughs> the Cajun craze. We've mentioned before, this is a decade when, thanks to folks like Paul Prudhomme, more and more of America was exposed to New Orleans cuisine. Suddenly, blackened fish was on menus everywhere, and a long-standing New Orleans spice blend company, Zatarain's, took full advantage 
of the trend. Um, They'd been selling seasonings since the 1890s, but went national around this time, mid-80s, and and introduced boxed rice dinners, starting with a gumbo mix and a dirty rice mix in 1985. They were acquired by McCormick in 2003 for $180 million. And thanks to them, you can now find gumbo in your freezer section. Or something called gumbo, anyway. Though the Cajun craze died down, it's still a big business. In 2015, they opened a new $26 million facility that creates some 300 different products with nationwide sales of $250 million per year. A common opinion is that gumbo is from scratch. Mm-hmm. In 2017, our own Atlanta mayor, then-mayor-elect Keisha Lance Bottoms, got heat for tweeting about her use of a gumbo box mix. She's always getting in trouble for food <laughs> things. She did them recently with the macaroni and cheese. Everyone was so mad about it. But <laughs> A lady's busy. Let her cook. I know. I mean, <laughs> whatever you got to do, I'm, I, I, I'm fine with it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the issue, I, not with Keisha, but, you know— <laughs> <laughs> but in, in, in general, with the looking down upon of using stuff like Zatarain's is that dilution of culture that we were talking about earlier. You know, like, like don't take this thing that I love, make a slapdash version of it, and then call it by the same name. Especially when so much of New Orleans' economy is based on getting people to go there and to enjoy the real version. Which I get. And I have been known to express frustration at people who tell me they don't like a certain thing. And then I hear the only... Thing they've tried is yeah some prepackaged version yeah yeah and I I've even been guilty myself with my very vocal opinions about mayo and <laughs> ranch but I have not tried homemade stuff so it's a universal problem it is it is we we can all stand more culinary education we should eat more is what I'm saying I can get behind this advice <laughs> I'm ready <laughs> I've been training <laughs> let me add them coach <laughs> Um, before we get a chance to go do that, we've got a little bit more of this episode for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. 
What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. While the popularization of gumbo might have given many New Orleanians, shall we say, anxiety, it may have also made the way for chefs to exercise some creativity. Here's Dickie Brennan, whose family together owns and operates 13 restaurants in New Orleans. For so many generations, it was the same dish. There wasn't a lot of evolution. You know, red beans and rice was red beans and rice. Gumbo was gumbo. But in the last 20, 30 years, and it's, I really believe it's because young American men and women have gotten these formal educations, so they have this foundation to work from. And I just think in America we're creative. You know, in a city like New Orleans is incredibly creative. I mean, my God, we created jazz. Prior to jazz, you had old world music, but played a certain way. I mean, what happened in New Orleans, look how it's changed the world. Isaac Toops expressed some reservations to some of the new dishes that are labeled gumbo, but drove home the versatility of gumbo and this coming together of ingredients to create this filling and comforting dish. Root beer and gumbo, every, everybody's got a crazy new wave of doing gumbo. One, one recently with quinoa and kale. It's like, whoa, back up, back up. <laughs> I think, you know, Cajun food is, is very versatile and whatnot. And to speak on what Liz said, you know, every, everybody, everybody besides Native Americans were um, immigrants coming to South Louisiana. And what Cajun food is and what it was is still going to be a collaboration of different genres and, and different uh, areas of land and location. And it still is today. Amy spoke about it as more of a personal struggle of what to support. And so you have a dilemma as a diner here in New Orleans. You have to decide, are you going to go old school? Are you going to be innovative? But you have the opportunity to do either. And as long as we can protect that classic and not lose it, then I say we can have as much fun as we want on the other side too. So I see great things and I see a lot of opportunities and I, I see us as a constantly swinging pendulum. We get very protective and classic and then we all chill a little bit and then we start getting a little wild and then we rein ourselves back in. <laughs> and I see that happening over the next couple of years. Gumbo really does represent so much. It's like eating a bowl of tradition and of history. From something that people made out of necessity to something you find at a nice restaurant. Something that is shared and also personal and yet leaves room for creativity. Amanda McFillin at the Historic New Orleans Collection commented on the two types of gumbo that her mother, who is Cajun, would make. She would do two different types of gumbo. She would do a chicken and pork gumbo 
which was my favorite. And she would do a um, shrimp and okra gumbo. And she would, as it's boiling, as it's cooking and simmering on the stove, she would crack raw eggs into a dish and put them in there and kind of poach the eggs in the broth, which was wonderful. Those both sound pretty wonderful to me. Oh, yeah. I really wish I could eat gumbo. I know. I do, too. Oh, bell peppers. Oh, bell peppers. A, a peek behind the curtain originally... We One of the reasons we chose New Orleans was to go to the gumbo festival, and we unfortunately missed it. (laughs) (laughs) That's our style here. Yeah. We got to to go to the uh, Boudin Festival and also the Po' Boy Festival, so I feel like we made up for it. We did. We did. I mean, there were plenty of foods I couldn't eat there, too, so. Mm. Yeah. Too bad. (laughs) I, I I ate. Don't worry, I didn't starve. <laughs> no, there is a lot of food to be had there in New is. Orleans, and yes. you will be hearing about more of those in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, listeners, do you have gumbo recipes you'd be willing to share? Oh yeah. Or if not, recommendations for your favorite places <laughs> to get a good bowl. I have such a craving right now. Uh, Please let us know at hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we are at SaverPod. Thanks so much to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard, our executive producer, Christopher Hasiotis, and all of our interviewees, and also the good folks who put us in touch with them. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. I definitely had a moment because I got the gumbo, mm-hmm. the wonderful gumbo, dark roux, very oh, nice. yeah, yeah. I had my gumbo, and then someone came over and said, oh, it turns out that we missed a lot of stuff. <laughs> just put more gumbo in yeah. my bowl. This guy just appeared and was like, more gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be a two-poor thing, like one of like mostly the base and the second with mostly the, the meats, the proteins. Yeah. And they had forgotten the protein step, and so – yeah, it, it, nice it was it was a, it was bonus. It was and beautiful bonus. Bonus combo, <laughs> very good. Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. 
If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 